Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. So we've been speaking for a couple of days now. Some of you have been here through all of those uh, discussions. And um, so I wanted to give everyone a chance to ask questions. Are there any questions? Yes. In the back. trying to apply the ideas regarding death in our lives, but we are discovering there's something missing, and that, that in that, and sorry, that's why I wrote it down, <laughs> um, something's missing, and that is the aging process. Um, the part of this culture is being, being part of this culture is being oblivious to that aging process, and we're trying to work with this, but basically having no role models at all, we find ourselves questioning. And so, now it's your turn. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, uh, to clarify your... We would like your opinion, feeling, I know your feelings, but you're worded. So you're saying that... um, What, how to, how to apply such teachings as you're well, aging? Well, discovering that we really didn't realize that there was an aging, aging process at all as far as physically, mentally, spiritually, the whole rounded whole. Uh-huh. And that we realized the nine basic aspects of devotion. But they're, but as full as they are, being embedded with so many distasteful feelings of aging that we're not quite sure where we should be or understand understand it, I mean, to allow it to happen. So in other words, even though we understand that we die and that we're decaying and that that's what's happening, it's like, I don't really understand it. In other words, uh, it's happening as if to another person or something, theoretically, uh, um, it's happening, but it's hard to. I think it's like having a child. Talking about having a child without ever having children. Well, now that we're in this, even though it's like without being being in it, with no education of it. How to age gracefully, or <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> in a way, that, that's the case. We all know that we've been here many times, and we're going to where this body will be. I think that that um, in a very basic and simple sense, that um, you're in in a, in, a, in a better position than and than many uh, with age, 
you or whomever with age, um, in that a central uh, aspect of any genuine spiritual and ego-effacing uh, practice is uh, uh, central to, is the idea of controlling the senses and the mind, withdrawing them, if you will, from without, from the objects of the senses of touch and taste and smell and sound and so forth, and, and, and focusing within instead. And um, in one sense, that's more of a challenge in youth uh, than it is in old age, because in youth there's a very powerful deception <clears throat> that, you know, in youth you're very desirable. Everybody wants uh, youth, and everybody wants to be young except young people. They want to be older. <laughs> and, um, and so it's, it's a very intoxicating um, uh, period, adolescence, and, and and so forth, and and as I say, the world is kind of offering itself to to the youth. The corporations want them, the military wants them, their their parents want them to stay young and not get old, and and so on and so forth. And so that is a very powerful, as I say, almost intoxicating uh, influence that um, makes it arguably more difficult than to turn away from such uh, sensual, uh, mental, intellectual prospects that no longer uh, hold uh, as much of a, of a draw upon you or aren't calling on you as much as your senses become less capable of deriving any satisfaction from the objects of the senses, and your mind becomes less uh, agile, perhaps, and uh, and so uh, people are finding less des- <laughs> less desirable um, uh, in the workplace. Let's say, for example, and, and they're not uh, after that. Uh, you as you as you age and so forth. I mean, so much is to be said about beauty and youth and so forth. And this is a, a, a good part of the reason why in a tradition like ours, a bhakti tradition, where there is a transcendent uh, relationship with the absolute, a kind of a, a, a giving and taking and exchange in love, in transcendence, the experience of the uh, transcendence, the absolute um, is, is described as Krishna. It, it means kind of a concentration, concentrated form of, of satchitananda, eternity, knowledge, and bliss, concentrated, hmm? taking a shape. Um, and while we experience that form is limiting in a material sense, hmm? and, 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 of course, old age makes it more apparent in some respects that it's limiting materially, in terms of your prospects and so forth. Um, form, on the other hand, in and of itself, does not necessarily um, have to be uh, limiting. Hmm? It may indeed be something that facilitates. Uh, for example, here. Okay. If I didn't have this form, here, called the glass, it would be difficult for me to take advantage of the water 
and drink. So form, just to give a simple example, is not inherently something that um, inhibits, it may facilitate. And what causes shapes to take their shape, shapes of matter, hmm, is that ourselves, consciousness, reflecting on or posing ourselves in matter causes matter to take shapes. Hmm? So similarly, on the other side of the equation, when consciousness focuses on consciousness, there's no reason to conclude that uh, consciousness can have a shape. Hmm? A shape that's transcendent at the same time to time and space. Hmm? Something similar to a shape, as we know it here, but entirely different at the same time. Hmm? I want to say that also specificity hmm, is an important ingredient for loving. It's an important ingredient. That means the more specific, the more you know about a person, hmm, the more specifics you know, if they're a lovable person, the more you have the capacity to love them. So, Therefore, for example, in the Gita, in the 11th chapter, Krishna shows a great theophany. He shows himself the whole... Everything's inside of me. And Arjun is in awe of that. And then he says, but I like that other form better. I can get a little closer to you there. There's a prospect for loving there and reciprocal dealings and so forth in relation to that that I don't find in this other form and so forth. So this form of Krishna, hmm, I want to say, this is a little bit of an aside from your question, but interesting nonetheless, is experienced uh, and depicted as youthful, hmm? ever youthful, adolescent, um, and the color is sham, the color of his, his complexion, sham is a color in Indian aesthetics for romantic uh, love, it's the color of romantic love that, that you know, that, that is such romantic love that even if you try to get in the way of it with reason, which would be the, probably the most powerful thing, you could tie them up or you could try to reason with someone, don't do it, it's not good for you, but it only serves to increase, intensify the um, the pursuit. Hmm? So uh, he is, what wants to say to us, this center is attractive in a way that just to give you something within your your frame of reference, like like romantic love of a young girl for a young boy is that, that knows no reason. Hmm? It transcends reason. It, it trumps reason. It, it 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 is a it is a it is a flow of the heart that cannot be checked. Hmm? It is it is it is a high to is without reason. Hmm? It is apratihata. It, it's an uncheckable something like that. Hmm? So this kind of uh, Krishna is that idea that affords that type of uh, intensity. Hmm? of spiritual practice that culminates in a type of uh, unity, dynamic, uni- loving unity with the Absolute. And, and so the Krishna is described, experienced by the mystics to one extent or another in these ways. And youth in particular, I'm pointing out to the value of youth. We're talking about old age, but the value of youth is something that... Uh, you know, in other traditions, we sometimes find the, the god is depicted as an old guy with a white beard or on a cloud, 
keeping score or something like that. It's, it's uh, not as attractive uh, of an idea. Um, or he has no face or something like that. Uh, um, in a way that, if you, of course, if we were to look carefully at that, in a way they're tr- it's trying to say the same thing. Hmm? Um, without going into, into detail of that, I think that it's said a little better, personally, <laughs> when we speak about the Godhead in terms of, for example, eternal youth. And it's interesting, too, that Krishna is depicted as eternal adolescent. Why is that interesting? To me, it's interesting because adolescence is actually a time of a, typically, where we experience our first existential crisis. Hmm? I got to go to work. You know, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting older. I'm getting a, I'm, I'm becoming of a, you know, age. I've got a, you know, I've got a. Um, isn't it? What they say? Ain't it funny how it feels when you know that life is real? Something like that. Oh, <laughs> so existential crisis comes with adolescence, and this Krishna idea, depicted as youthful. Hmm? Experienced by the mystics is kind of all of all that youth, hmm, the attractiveness that it has, all kind of uh, uh, condensed into a one 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 shape, hmm. and at the same time, adolescence, adolescence, as I say, it implies among other things, but in a, in a large sense, this existential crisis. Krishna is is the the Godhead in in existential crisis. Hmm. He is Krishna. Is that one that 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 deity, that manifestation, that face of the absolute, standing as we talked a little bit last night next to Radha, hmm? the fullness of the object of love, standing next to the the love that corresponds with that object. So again, depicted as a young young girl in love, nothing can stop her, and and, and there are many reasons why she shouldn't go with Krishna, but she's going anyway. Hmm? Something like that. So, uh, and that love of Radha's for Krishna is so extraordinary that in his he 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 thinks, what is that? I mean, I know I'm attractive, but <laughs> what what is it in her that 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 she in me that she sees that she experiences? What is her experience hmm, of me? I think that exceeds anything within my own experience, and I'm supposed to be God. Hmm? Uh, so God is now having an existential crisis, mm-hmm. is the idea. And the crisis is caused by bhakti, hmm? by love, hmm? that, that, that overwhelms the, the absolute, so to speak. That, that's what Krishna means, the absolute overwhelmed by love, hmm? wise love. Hmm? And and in some kind of crisis, and there's an answer to that crisis also. There's a, there's a, there's a particular way in which uh, Krishna seeks to, to solve that. Hmm? That we, we call that Sri Chaitanya. That is this particular avatar descent manifestation of Krishna to try to resolve the problem. That's a huge topic. But at any rate, hmm, we're talking about old age, <laughs> and. Uh, Feel young again. <laughs> the words is that, you know, 
truly with love, there isn't an aging process. Yeah, we can get. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's that's part of it for sure. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, uh, as we get older and we realize we're experiencing old age and so forth, in some respects we're in a better position. Um, if in our lives we've had some acquaintance with theoretically with like you say we know that we're dying uh, we, we talk about that sometimes it's very rather positive in in in, in a way uh, or it provides negative impetus for doing something positive and having a really really positive life in a in the full sense of the term not materially to have a material to be materially well off that is kind of like oxymoron you can't be material and be too well off uh, that is the whole problem <laughs> so at any rate because you're a little informed and you're you know uh, um, been attuned to spiritual practices and so forth uh, you, you you think about these things with a little bit of a philosophical Mind and so forth, as you explained, we know we've had many births, and and we know we 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 as a as a unit of consciousness transcend the biological death and so forth. Um, but how can we? But uh, but it, the old age is happening to us, and 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 we don't know exactly what to do with it, or something like that. And well, so what I'm saying, in, among other things, is that that I think it. If you study it, if you look at it, so forth, in 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 a way, it it puts you in a better position hmm, to take advantage of things that a lot of times, like for a young person who has an existential crisis, and um, and 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 then sincerely pursues a, a, a comprehensive narrative, you know, to answer all the problems of life that postmodernism says there is none of. <laughs> no, but anyway, they, they, there may be <laughs> there may be a truth, uh, an objective truth. So one pursues, and then let's say one comes in touch with the bhakti tradition like this and so forth, and they find, because of their psychology formed from, from past impressions over lifetimes, of this kind of sangha, this kind of association, they find it all works for them. Hmm? The answers are satisfactory, hmm? and so forth. And so, on the basis of that, the existential crisis is theoretically solved. Hmm? But there's a tendency in 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 younger people, I think, that the problem is solved. I've got the answers now. I'll get on with my life. <laughs> when the answer is, <laughs> chop your life, stop your life, change your life entirely. So, it, they, so you have this other music going on in the background, like the problem solved, <laughs> the problem solved. But, but in a way, we continue to perpetuate uh, the problem, and then we wonder sometimes, I thought it was solved, and, and, and so forth. So the idea is to, to put that theory really into practice in such a way that one gets really profound experience and knows beyond thinking about it. Hmm? And uh, that it's not so easy. Hmm? It's not so easy. We have these kind of gatherings to try to promote that and these type of discussions and, and so forth. Um, but um, part of the reason that it's difficult is because of the uh, uh, 
the younger we are, the more it's, it seems like there's still a chance that <laughs> that I could make it as I am, so to speak. Uh, you know, death is is for old people, hmm? and of course, of course, we have to think about that by saying that uh, what uh, everyone is close to death, hmm. right? Hmm. What is the saying? Hmm. What is the saying? Um, <laughs> so it's not for old people. Uh, <laughs> it's for every everybody. Hmm? Hmm? Uh, yeah, it's still about a hundred percent the last we looked. So, uh, <laughs> but there's a prospect, and of course, and here you know. We 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 know we're going to die. We you know we, it's everything dying all around us. Insects are dying on the windshield as we drive over and so forth. And there's a saying, there's a statement in the Mahabharata, the greater um, narrative that the Bhagavad Gita is found within. And uh, one of the warriors there, statesman Yudhisthira, was asked, "What was the most wonderful thing in his experience?" He said, "The most wonderful thing in my experience is that." It, Everyone is dying, and there's death all around us, and we continue to act as if it's not happening to us. Something like that. He said, "That is that is Vishnu Maya, <laughs> very powerful illusion. <laughs> uh, nothing could be more obvious. <laughs> nothing could speak louder to us. And there's no louder message, so to speak, than that from nature." And we're very expert at ignoring it, even when we think about it philosophically and agree about it philosophically and so forth. And at the same time, we are not necessarily trying to perpetuate our biological selves as much as our just egoic, I want to say, self, that I'm I'm in the center, so to speak, kind of seeing the world as if it's centered around me. We don't we do that maybe not consciously in a gross egotistical way like some others might, but in a subtle way. This is the the the, the, the vantage point from which we we move in, in the in the world. Hmm? Within the spirit to, to, to the, that the, uh, the natural world is there to be used for our purpose, however small that purpose is. Uh, uh, Imagined as it is, arrived at within within the mind and so forth. So, so with age, then, um, if throughout our life we had some kind of spiritual education and association and so forth, we we can we can experience things that are that are theoretical earlier in life, hmm? and as we experience them, like. I said earlier, as I began, the senses become have, have less capacity to enjoy the sense objects. It's not any, any longer such a good fit. It's not a glove on a hand anymore. You know, but uh, I heard that song too many times, or, or whatever. I've done that before. You know, been there and and, and done that kind of a thing. So um, we get the if we're attentive, so to speak, then we can see we can that what was theoretically spoken about previously i'm experiencing it so this is very could be can be very compelling and it can be very helpful the practical reality of it 
that it that it's that much more difficult to export oneself hmm, into the world of things and identify with them and have a viable identity derived from or apparent viable identity you know derived from that that can move and influence others and have friends and whatever make money and, and so forth so it's kind of a um, an opportunity to uh, to experience an aspect of the teaching that's important. It's a lower aspect, but the, as low as it gets in this school, it's super high. It's a high thing. As low as we can talk philosophically and theologically about the teaching, it's very high in, in comparison to a non-spiritual hmm, um, ideology or uh, pursuit and, and so on and so forth. Um, once, just as a th- side point, one fellow asked me once, how is it that your teacher could speak about the highest things without confusing others? Because, you know, sometimes it's too high for people. And I said, well, he tended to think about the, talk about the lower things spiritually in the highest way. That was, that's useful. Hmm? Uh, <laughs> to us, uh, to drive home the points, the, the basic points that need to be the building blocks of a real spiritual life that need to be in place and so forth. Otherwise, we can talk poetically about the prayogen, about the goal, about the ideal, and everybody will think it would be wonderful. But like I said last night, when we turn to talk about how to get there, we've got something else to do. This, uh, love is born, in a sense, from the womb of, of sacrifice and uh, so forth. So. So youth is, is can be, I mean, excuse me, older age can be very, very valuable. It's very confirming in a sense. Otherwise, it, without that spiritual wisdom and insight, it becomes very perplexing. Hmm? And so then, you know, got to dye your hair, <laughs> you know, and try to re- regain the youth in, in, in some way and, uh, and look a little, you know, silly, <laughs> rather than looking like, like, like the elders that we need, hmm? you know, who have... Who are wise, and so they've they, they've 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 now been cornered, so to speak, just by by nature itself that they have to take this up, hmm? and there's no impediment to taking it. It doesn't require a youthful body to take it up. Hmm? Uh, everyone's heart, whose heart is still beating, so to speak. It's it's, uh, it's speaking, of course, metaphorically. It's a heart. Exercise. We are units of of giving capacity. We are giving ourselves somewhere at all times, and so forth. So, um, I would think that uh, older age can be a, a huge kind of fa- favorable wind, if you will, hmm? that I might uh, take it, take advantage of and kind of step on the the, the gas or, or something like that. That, uh, that, my, that uh, uh, that's why it's said sometimes that that the time of death itself is has great power in it. At the moment of death, has great power as it approaches. Hmm? Um, a lot can happen in a moment, hmm? and um, so there's there's a, there is a possibility of investing oneself kind of spiritually at the time of death, incrementally or exponentially, hmm, more than one could at, at other time because of the necessity. They, they said that uh, necessity is the mother of invention. So, 
you haven't got to invent anything, but uh, you, 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 the necessity is, is provides some impetus that you could give and give in the right way in a, in a, in exponentially at that time hmm? uh, in comparison to other times. It's not something that, well, <laughs> so I'll wait till then. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but but uh, that the, then you won't be able to do that. But... Um, Therefore, Krishna, Arjuna asks Krishna, "Well, you know, how, what, uh, what, uh, what do you say? Uh, that yam yam vyapis maram bhavam chajayam te kalevaram tam tamevaiti kuntayasadatan bhavavavita." What one thinks about, what one's preoccupied with at the time of death, that determines what one becomes, something like that. And what, but then, what determines what you think about the time of death? <laughs> what you think about through your life? Hmm? So you can't cheat the system there. I think about one one thing, <laughs> and then I figure I'll think I'll think about that when it, when it, that time of death comes. You won't. You will think about the things that you're attached to. Hmm? You'll be driven to those things. That'll be the movie that replays, and I, I and 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 that's where you will go then. Hmm? Follow your attachments and so forth. So, so um, a little preparation for that moment is uh, is is helpful. And old age is uh, can be very useful, I would think. And so I would try to look at it like that, uh, with uh, that it has very much positive uh, impetus, and you can very much be a, an example for uh, younger people. Also, that doesn't mean that necessarily that you know we think of an older sage or something. You know, that's really a, 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 an example we can follow and uh, and so forth. But just how just how to use your life. Hmm? You have to become a, a saint in a, in, in a sense, but that, that you're doing the right thing at that age. And you can see some young person enthusiastic and in their spiritual practice or whatever, and we look at them and go, oh, okay, well, we'll see you in 50 years. You know, it's, 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 it's a long haul. And if we can look at somebody who's, you know, 60, 70, 80, and so forth, and there they are, you know, content with this is what life's about and... Uh, you know, I'm sure of that. I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's nothing to distract me now, even if uh, I wanted, so to speak. And so, it, it, it's a very inspiring to see that. Mm-hmm. I would think it would be. Uh, it, it was, I should say, for me. I'm a little older now myself. Um, 63, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, and my guru, I think, was 70 when I when I met him, 70 or 71 or two, something like that. I thought it was pretty old at the time. <laughs> I was like, I was like 22 or something. That's a long way up there. You know. That's old. So, so anyway, I, uh, I think that, um, and I, of course, had in my, in my life other elders who were um, not as compelling in an outward way of an example as, as he, but nonetheless... Their example was very um, compelling to see that uh, that they were um, uh, expiring with grace, so to speak, from the world. So I think it's it's good. I would look at it as something positive. In the Gita, it's also looked at as negative. Birth is, death is, old age is, and diseases. And that's what the Buddha saw. You know the story of the Buddha. It said, anyway, that he... <laughs> was a prince, and he had his astrological chart done, as would be done in, in those days, and it said that he will either become a great um, uh, king or he will become an ascetic. 
uh, a renunciate. And so the king, the father of the prince Gotam, didn't want him to become an, a renunciate, an, an ascetic, so he kept him inside the, the palace compound, which could be pretty big in those days, and he made sure that he had all, all necessities of life and more. Hmm? Um, his life was comfortable in every way and so forth. And then uh, it came to pass one day that the, the gates opened in the palace and he asked his charioteer, who used to, I guess, cart him around, let's go through the gate. He said, we're not supposed to do that. He said, well, let's go in. I'm the prince. You know, you have to do it. All right, so he went. And as they drove down the road, then they saw, and they heard a, he said, what's that? He said, Oh, they went, they said, oh, some, uh, someone had just taken birth, you know. Ah, it starts with a big cry, you know. He, he said, said, oh, that's birth, huh, okay. And they moved a little further down the road. He said, he said, he said, he said who, who's, who, who, uh, who, who determines, who experiences that? And he, the chair let tear laugh. He said, well, they had, everybody, you know, experiences that. Born in ignorance, you know. There's a lot to figure out. It's complex. So they moved a little further, and then he saw um, a leper, a diseased person. Hmm? He said, what's that? He said, that's disease. And again, everybody has to experience disease in some form. So Buddha kind of took a mental note of that. Hmm? Gotam, his name was. And then, and then he went further, and he saw an old age person trying to get across the road, you know, with the cane, everything was much more difficult and and so forth. He said, what's that? It's old age. And everybody has to experience old age. And then he saw uh, a person that died and they're carrying him, you know, to the to the funeral pyre and so forth. What is that? That is death. Everybody has to experience death. So once he saw birth, once he saw a disease, once he saw old age, once he saw death, he never went back into the palace again. He said, this is what life is about. Birth, death, disease, and old age. Dukko doshano darshanam. Janmamritya jarabhadi dukko doshano darshanam. Krishna says it this way in the Gita. One who knows the fact about birth, death, disease, and old age is a wise person. Hmm? The Buddha was characteristically a wise person. The term Buddha means wise. Hmm? He became wise. And so he developed a system to move away from birth, death, disease, and old age, uh, the suffering that the world uh, was constituted of and so forth. So it's a negative in that sense hmm? for, the, for the general people, but, that, but the spiritually educated, uh, wise people, then it, uh, all these things turn into something um, that uh, uh, are advantageous or um, uh, uh, useful, even uh, even even disease can be birth and old age and 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 death. So it's a matter of uh, perspective. And of course, as you said earlier, we're all we're all young. That's a fact. Um, and um, in, in, in enduring unit of experiencing capacity and. And nobody dies. Nobody gets old. Hmm. 
They talk about old souls sometimes <laughs> who've been around something uh, a little wise. What else? Any other question? Mark, yes. Uh, there's a verse in Bhagavad Gita where Krishna explains about whoever dies and the late daytime, he never come back here. But it's uh-huh. at nighttime he returns. Can you explain something about that? He's speaking about a verse in the eighth chapter of the Gita. In the eighth chapter of the Gita speaks about um, one of the things it speaks about is a mixture of bhakti and uh, astanga yoga, mixing these two paths. Hmm? Mixture of uh, yoga mishra bhakti. Mishra means mixed. Mixing yoga with mixing bhakti with yoga, something like that, hmm? as a path. Here we are teaching bhakti as a path unto itself. And many of our students also do yoga. But they don't follow the yoga um, um, ideal, so to speak. Ishwar, or omniscience like the Ishwar. So anyway, so there are people who mix yoga with bhakti hmm, for attaining a uh, uh, baikuntam it means uh, beyond anxiety and a beatific a beatific vision we call it shanta shantarasa so um, it's kind of a, a stillness like we were talking about last night but it has some very minimal positive content hmm? uh, so there's another and there's so there's a beatific vision speak. Then there may be development from there where there's actually more movement in transcendence, active in interaction with the object of, of, of love and so forth. Even re- reaching a romantic type of kind of pitch, so to speak. So, um, so in that chapter, this is toward the end of the chapter, Krishna speaks about how for the yogi there are certain times for leaving the body that will cause them to uh, progress hmm, and attain mukti, liberation, or the time is not the right time to leave, and if they leave at that time, they'll return. Hmm. It's a, a symbolic language that's used there, and metaphor is, is employed. Hmm. And it speaks about uh, deities presiding over light, uh, over fire, over the uh, um, the uh, the winter or the summer solstice and so forth, hmm? and um, and so one path is a path by which going in yoga one doesn't return. Hmm? The other path is one by which going one has to return. So the yogi has to be very attentive. To, yoga is very much about control. I'm speaking like mystic yoga, stanga yoga. It's very much about control, controlling the mind, the senses. You can control the organs inside and and, and and so on and so forth. And it, the ideal is the Ishwar, who's the controller, the omniscient Ishwar. Hmm. And so um, so there's a controlling the, the, the nadis, the, uh, the arteries in the body and channels and so forth. You find your way out and at the right time, don't go out. It's very specific like this. It's very sophisticated. Hmm? Um, 
means for attaining some mastery hmm, that you might get out of the maze of material existence. Hmm. And it's quite a maze, so that's quite a quite an quite an art, huh? and quite complicated actually. Hmm. So part of it is this: you have to leave at the right time, hmm? otherwise you'll return. But Krishna mentions it, and he says that that. But this doesn't pertain then to bhakti. Hmm? So he interfaces yoga mixed with bhakti with bhakti unto itself by, for the purpose of showcasing the beauty of bhakti in comparison that Arjun might take to bhakti. Hmm? His student might take to bhakti. Hmm? That's the purpose of that uh, discussion, in short. And, uh, and so the idea is that, uh, that in bhakti one doesn't have to leave it, one can leave it any time. Hmm? Hmm. It's like uh, it's kind of like not who you are, but who who you know, or something like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yoga, you're trying to be this competent spiritual warrior, if you will. Hmm? Uh, but in bhakti, there's acknowledgement that you know that, that that I'm weak, something like that. But but that acknowledgement brings in to, to focus the one who's actually strong and one develops a connection with that person so that by grace one can do things very easily hmm, that would otherwise be very uh, difficult to accomplish. Just to give you another simple example of that, if nothing belongs to us but we live our lives as if so many things do and we have a false sense of proprietorship, well, one of the easiest ways to overcome a false sense of proprietorship is to meet the owner of something. Hmm? If you think it's yours, but you find, you know, let's say you find something valuable and you think, wow, I just found a gold bar, you know, here. And then you look on the back and it's got, you know, somebody's name and address engraved in it, you know, right there. And then you start to, you know, you feel a little bit less, <laughs> you know, inclined to take it and, put it in your pocket and so forth. Or if you're standing in line and at the cashier and some the guy in front of you drops a $20 bill, it's one thing to find a $20 bill on the street. You go, hey, it's, it's mine, <laughs> right? But if you see it drop out of somebody's pocket, it's on the floor too. Hmm? But you're hopefully less inclined to say, to step on it so he doesn't see it and, <laughs> and say that it's yours because you know it's somebody who, who it belongs to. So knowledge of the proprietor hmm? A very is very powerful and helpful for overcoming a false sense of proprietorship that we may be possessed of. Hmm? So that's the idea of bringing Krishna into the picture, something like that. Hmm? It makes it it makes it easier. Hmm? And if you can't beat them, then they say you join them. So as you can see, the center has been depicted as as the enjoyer. Hmm? Krishna is playful and and enjoying. Hmm? In, in love, and if you study that, Leela, you think this, you can't really compete with it. He's a very extraordinary <laughs> person. Uh, you can't compete, might as well join him, something like that. And this is a good idea because, you know, there aren't really a lot of options here <laughs> in real spiritual pursuit. If we, there I are mean, many things out there that, that present themselves as spiritual. The vast majority of them are very ego-enhancing and uh, acquisition-oriented, 
uh, pray to God to get something, um, you know, uh, your spiritual path is that it helps you to move up the corporate ladder or have a better sex life or, or whatever. Hmm? These things are counterfeit, if you will. Hmm? But what is actually a spirit, genuine spiritual path that, in the very least, it has to be ego-effacing. Hmm? That self-centered, uh, conventional ego that goes as far as thinking, I'm a woman or I'm a man. Hmm? That's wrong. We're not. Hmm? We're in a particular dress. It's a passing thing, something like that. So that identity, that that that, that, that practice, that path that, that, that effaces that, that has some credibility. Hmm? Uh, and there's not a lot of such paths. In a very basic sense, there's a couple of paths. There's a path of action. There's a path of knowledge. Hmm? And there's a path of love. The path of action tends to be one of acquisition. Hmm? That's going in the wrong direction. We perform religious acts or whatever, worship or pray to get things. That's like, you know, really dumb. Because you're not a thing, <laughs> and things aren't going to help you. <laughs> Something like that. Then you can take that path of action, which is how we're oriented. We've been moving in that direction towards acquisition forever, since forever. So you could take that path of action. This is what the Gita does, and says, go ahead and do the action. But... The, 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 but but don't be attached to the results of the action, which which preoccupation with the results make it make it difficult for us to do the action too. We may be too preoccupied with the result to pay attention to the reaction to to the action. So he says that there's something in 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 um, in, in living your life uh, without attachment to the fruits, to the results that you sacrifice. You sacrifice the results. You do the activity that you have a tendency for, but to sacrifice the results. Hmm? You take what you need, your basic necessities, and your expendable money, your fun money, you use it for something other than yourself, or like something spiritual. Hmm? To print the Bhagavad Gita or something, open an ashram or something like that. This kind of idea. So this is where the path of action, karma, becomes a, a path of yoga, karma yoga. Yoga, when we bring in the word yoga, we mean we're turning in a spiritual direction. Not, we're turning away from a religious orientation to a spiritual orientation, a spiritual experiential orientation. A religious orientation means I want to color my human life with a spiritual religious crayon. So I'll do all the things that I do in life Attending to the births and marriages and uh, and um, funerals and graduations and whatever all these things that we, and and I do it all in consideration of uh, uh, God. So we find in Hindus we got uh, gods for everything, gods for graduation, gods for funerals, gods for births, and so on and so forth. Hmm? Um, it's a kind of an idea, like I've given an example. If in your house you have, a, you turn a switch, you get light. You turn a valve, you get water. You press a button, you get heat. You open the mailbox, you get a bill. So there's a kind of an acknowledgement that all of the 
what nature provides that we take advantage of. We owe for that. Hmm? And we should acknowledge the sun, the moon, the night, and, and so on and so forth. There, there are rituals for that and so forth. This is like the karma path, the karma marg. Hmm? And when you factor yogi into it, it turns from being a path that, that gives my human life a religious color to, to, um, to looking beyond the human life to what I am as an atma. Hmm. So from kind of a religious inquiry into a spiritual inquiry, like people sometimes today say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Something like that. To really play that out, whether they know what they're talking about necessarily, when they say that, sometimes I wonder. But, um, but I'm saying it here that, that, that you could. And the Gita says this: if you want to understand and realize what the Gita teaches, the Gita says you have to give up religion. That's what it says. That's the conclusion of the Gita. Sarva dharman pratyaja mamikam sarvam You have to give up religion. Hmm? And your morality then has to be, like I said last night, whatever helps my practice, I accept it. Whatever is not favorable for my practice, I will reject that. Those will be my goods and bads. And my my life breaths intake and outtake will be for my spiritual practice. Something like that. So, there's the karma path then. And then there's the karma path kind of tweaked a little bit so it starts to become spiritual. Hmm? And then there's the gyan path, means the path of knowledge. In one sense, it follows the, the, the karma path because as you act and without pursuit of the fruits for your own self, that if you don't get them, you're unhappy. If you get them, you're, you're happy. The Gita is saying it doesn't matter whether you get them or you don't get them. There's something bigger going on here. Hmm? Most people are working and they're attached to the fruits and the way it shows up is if they don't get the result that they want, they become despondent. If they get the result that they want or more, then they become happy. Hmm? And, and yoga is not about these happies and sads, which are just like the roller coaster of life. Yoga is not about that. It's about this. Okay. Steadiness, equanimity, balance, not being off balance. I got something. Uh, I got a raise. I got fired. You know, and it's as high of a raise as you're going to get is as you know much of a homeless person you're going to become in, at some point. The high, high as it gets is as low as it gets. As low as it gets, as high as it, that's how it works. That's how the life works materially. Hmm? It may not all catch up to you immediately, but you can be sure those highs hmm, of euphorium, we won the World Series or whatever, the football game or whatever it is, or you know, it, 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 you're going to bottom out at some point as well. And so yoga is not about this. It's about some living in balance. So you can see why I'm saying action in general, which is in pursuit of the result, is like this. Because sometimes you get the result and it's up and sometimes you don't and it's down. And so you're just being driven by this result. So to, to, to act then yogically 
is to act without attachment to the result. So if you get the result high, you go, okay, well, take it in stride. Yeah. The low end is going to be coming here at some point too. So, you know, and I take that in stride too. And there's something more than hmm, to our life than just chasing fruits, hmm, which you know you, you bite into the good fruit, the high, and it and it turns, you know, and you end and, and, and you end up liking it, and it ends up, you know, there's, there's a worm inside or something like that. It gets bad. Hmm? Attachment to things is the womb from which misery takes birth. Hmm? So, so to actually tread this karma path, it's not so, in a yogic sense, karma yoga, not so easy. Hmm? But you can see, it speaks about living in balance. You do the things that you have a propensity, a tendency to do, but you do them without being attached to the results. Hmm? You do them good, you want to do them the best you can, and you, you do them to get a good result, but you're not attached to whether the result uh, turns out to be what what you what it might have been or might not have been, not been. So now, what happens is, as you work like this, there's an ingress of some wisdom hmm, as to as I'm speaking the nature of, of of life and what this fruit hunting you know turns it turns into. It's problematic. Hmm? So some peace starts to come within one hmm? and some some sense of uh, I'm complete without chasing after anything. Hmm? Acquisition uh, is, is false. I don't really acquire anything. And I've been living previously to try to acquire, thinking by acquiring I'll become more. Hmm? And I can't keep anything. So I don't, whatever I acquire, I lose in due course. And so, so one starts to become fuller in oneself because one starts to experience oneself, because one's preoccupation is not with the fruits of action, hmm? but rather dutifully doing the action, hmm? and gradually there's this ingress of, of wisdom, mystic wisdom. And what happens is then, a, a, a genuine detachment from things develops within one. And so the impetus to do things then starts to wane. Hmm? I'm happy without doing things. There's some inner life. This is gyan. Hmm? Knowledge, I mean. Knowledge, gyan means knowledge. Knowledge means that, uh, in this sense, means the knowledge that I want enduring happiness. It cannot come in the pursuit of things that don't endure, that are not inherently happy themselves or joyful. Hmm? So why shall I move? Hmm? So one can sit then. If one walks properly, then one can sit. How to walk properly in the world, move in the world without being attached to the fruits. The more we're attached to the fruits as we walk, the more difficult it will be to sit. Hmm? So by walking right, one can sit well. Hmm? You know, I say, don't just do something, sit there. <laughs> and so this is the path then of gyan to sit it cannot be done immediately you cannot today say I will do the path of gyan no gyan requires that certain things are no longer in the heart those things that are making you move those attachments that have got you moving after things 
So many of them have to come out to be able to even start the path of jnana. So we think, I think I'll follow the path of jnana yoga. Well, there's some prerequisites that you have to do, some qualification for that. Hmm? So, so that's not so easy to start with. Yoga, similarly, similar to the jnana mark, that there's some prerequisites to be able to sit. Yoga is about sitting. Hmm? Similar idea to do dhyana, hmm? to do meditation and so forth. So, then there's the path, we say action, path of knowledge, and the path of love. Hmm? Now the difference between, well, it's obvious which one's better, right? <laughs> we don't have to go on. So, but, <laughs> but, to, but to explain it a little bit, in love there's action, and in that love there's knowledge. Hmm? And there's something more also. When you love, you know what to do. Hmm? You know, and you know what to do. And if the knowledge is essential, and what one does is, is essential. Not extra, no extra baggage of knowing, no extra move, movement. It's very uh, uh, honed and, uh, and, and so forth. So love, not only is love pregnant with knowledge, love is the end of knowledge. And love, and love is the perfection. And, and, then, and all action is informed by some kind of knowledge. So that movement... That, uh, that is part of love. This is this is the perfection of, of movement, and this is, this is informed by the highest, highest highest knowledge and so forth. And love is is a movement. That should be clear. It's not a still. It's a movement. Hmm? It, they, we say, I say, that we move in this world, just materially speaking, for love. We cannot rest until we find love. What happens when you find love? Then, do you sit still? No, you start moving also again, but that's a different orbit. Hmm? Love has its own orbit. Hmm? Hmm? So, and love is like this, <laughs> and yoga is like this, <laughs> and love is like this. Hmm? That is very special kind of up and down. Hmm? <laughs> yeah? Even Krishna's saying, picking a clover. Radha loves me; she loves me not. Loves me. This is the uh, existential crisis of, of 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 the Godhead, something like that. Hmm? This is a very nice idea, a very charming idea, hmm? very charming, hmm? very sweet. So, the path of bhakti, the path of love, hmm? it's so easy. Also, uh, let us say, I think I mentioned it last night. You, you go to you go somewhere else. You go to a wealthy person. And you want his wealth, and he realizes you're just here to get my money. You know, he show you the door, hmm? give you give you a, you know a dollar and send you away, something like that. Then this other person comes, and he and he doesn't want your wealth, but he wants the knowledge by which you got that wealth, so forth. Okay, well, you know, here you can take that, and you can go away too. Hmm? <laughs> Neither one of them have any interest in in, in you. Hmm? Now another person comes, doesn't want your money, doesn't want the knowledge of how you got money, doesn't even care about that, just wants you. Then then you show him the door, but it's open. <laughs> Come in. Hmm? You sure you don't want anything? No, that's, uh, I just want to be with you. This is bhakti hmm? in relation to God. And karma and gyan, hmm, 
They are about having the wealth oneself, acquisition, and about or about having the knowledge. When you know you can't own everything, well, then you go from trying to enjoy everything to to knowing everything, something like that, which is also a folly. Hmm? In bhakti, it's something like make friends with the person who owns and knows everything. Then, what is your position? Hmm? The person who knows, like I said, it's not who you are, it's who you know. <laughs> and we are not much. We are very small. Hmm? If you could see the size of the earth hmm, in comparison to the biggest planet that uh, that they know about, have you ever seen it? It looks like like a like an atom, hmm? and we are on you know one one continent in one country in one city on one block in one house in in one body. <laughs> we are very very small. Hmm? When we talk about Krishna, he's playing the flute and all, but reality is a person. This is the point. Hmm? And it's not us. Hmm? Hmm? We, are, we are a shakti of that person. Hmm? And, that, 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 and, you could, and you could interact with that person that is, that is reality in intimacy. This is a very extraordinary idea. It's only possible by love. <laughs> you think about it, you go, well, that wouldn't be possible. <laughs> I'm such a small, you know, insignificant, and, but by, not only, but even conquer him, so to speak, conquer the absolute, overwhelm it. Hmm? I mean, in, in, a, in, a, in a beautiful way, hmm? as love has the power to do. So, so bhakti is very powerful, hmm? very, very powerful idea. Hmm? And very simple in comparison to get out of the maze of material existence. Well, if you've got someone, you know, showing you a sign over here, come over here, you know, or taking you by your hand, it's much, um, much more effortless. We in bhakti, we make an effort to get grace. That's our effort to get grace. What kind of effort is that? You understand? That is a hard exercise. That is the hardest exercise too. You can exercise your mind. You can exercise your body to physically to try to do things. But to exercise your heart means you have to cry, and that's not so easy. Because hmm? materially speaking, we're, we're we're kind of taught not to cry, to some extent. We're told you you know you got to you got to be a little tougher you know to make it in life. And, and uh, but bhakti means you go ahead and acknowledge how small you are. Sometimes people say, "Well, Swami, you know um, it's okay. You need religion for a crutch. I don't mind. I don't need it. But if you need it, you know." It's okay. <laughs> I said, well, okay. The problem, the difference between you and me is that I know I need it and you don't know you need it, but you need it. Mm-hmm. If you knew how small you were, what, 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 <laughs> even materially speaking, it's so difficult to get anywhere. To accom- even to have a relationship is just an impossible practice. <laughs> it's so, to do anything. Hmm? What we're talking about is doing something very, very super extraordinary. Hmm? To be successful in that, we need all the help we can get. Hmm? And this is, so this is the, the bhakti sensibility. Hmm? It's, a, it's a willingness to like say, I need help. But that's hard to do, you see. It sounds so simple, but it's, uh, we are so accustomed to not needing help. And, and the, the material nature kind of trains us, in, in a sense, to, to, to struggle, to be fit. Hmm. And Bhakti Mr. say, I know I'm not fit. Hmm. 
So, uh, so the cry is a little, little, little hard, hmm? but it's very, very powerful. Hmm? So, that's the answer. <laughs> you don't have to worry. Day or night, you can go. <laughs> Okay. Well, it's been nice chatting with you. What time is it now? Three. So we've talked for a while. And uh, and so, nice to be with you again. This is, I'll come again probably, when will I come again? In the springtime? Yeah. yeah. Maybe in March or something like that. Somewhere, sometime in March, yeah. Now I'll go from here to California. We have a beautiful ashram there. Some of you have been there and visited us. Visited us. You're welcome to come. My calendar ends on 21st, December 21st. What happens? Mayan calendar. It ends ends for the Mayans, but not for us. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sure there's lots of interpretations of that. But but I say, I'll go to California. You're welcome to come and visit me there anytime. Some of you have come. And then from there, I'll go to Costa Rica. We have a nice ashram there. Very beautiful. And that's also, we have all our ashrams are very um, rural settings. You have to take make some effort to get there. And so I'll be there for three months in, in Costa Rica. And then I'll come back to California in March. So we have a festival in March, too, commemorating the appearance day of Chaitanya, Sri Chaitanya very big festival we have, so you're invited to come. And then after that, in March, I'll go to, we have another monastery and community in North Carolina, in, in uh, western North Carolina, Asheville area. It's a very beautiful, progressive place, too, in Appalachians. So, that's my schedule. <laughs> I hope to keep up with you all. Thank you very much. Hey.